So hey, why did the procrastinator apply for a job at the bakery? Because he thought loafing around was the best way to rise to the occasion. How does a lazy comedian finish their jokes? This morning we're back in our series in Amos, and today we find a warning against complacency and indifference. Uh, This morning we're going to learn how God sees those who can't see past themselves and who sit idly by and the misfortune that this kind of hubris and folly can bring. But we'll also see what it looks like to hear God's voice, to look beyond ourselves, and to make the necessary sacrifices to show true concern for others. But before we enter into our text, I want to remind us, as I do every week, of the greater context of this book that we're reading so that we can rightly understand the passage that we'll be studying together today. And so as we've discovered in this series, the primary theme of the book of Amos is the message of biblical justice, what we often refer to as righteousness and the consequences of disobedience and injustice. So Amos communicates a a strong call to people to remember God and his ways. And this call is not only to remember God, but to repent of our reluctance to heed his call and our rejection of him as king. And Amos shows us that true repentance is more than simply saying, I'm sorry, but instead it means turning from the ways that we've strayed, particularly in regards uh, to the ways individuals and societies treat one another. And so we've seen that sin often is against someone else, but it's always against God. And yet, he continues to cry out with an invitation for us to return to him without fear if we would only remember and repent. So in summary, the book of Amos serves as a call to return to God's ways and actively engage in acts of kindness, fairness, compassion towards all members of our local and global society. So again, put most simply, the message of this book is threefold. Remember. Remember that God is king and judge. Repent. Acknowledge the ways that we've rebelled or rejected his authority and sinned against God by sinning against others. And return. Turn back to God. Seek him and live freely and without fear, knowing how much he loves his people and cares deeply for their well-being. So the message of this book is the gospel, that Yahweh is king, So repent and receive salvation. And as we enter into this text this morning, I encourage you to hear the message that these passages highlight, the warning against complacency and indifference, idolatry of self, and the mistreatment of the marginalized and the vulnerable. But I also want you to hear the truth that 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 faithfulness, the relationship with God that we're granted comes with a moral and ethical responsibility that true worship is demonstrated through righteous living and a deep concern for the wellness of others. So this responsibility is a gift because it comes with the ability to have a beautiful and genuine relationship with the creator of the universe who not only will hear our prayers, but as we'll see, will answer them too. And so with all that said, let's enter into Amos chapter six and hear God's heart first towards the heartless. Amos chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, begins this way. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion 
and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see from there, go to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Or you who put far away the days of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lamb from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph." Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. So Amos chapter 6 begins with woes. For those who don't know, a woe is an exclamation, most often a sound of deep distress and sorrow. And this morning we're given two. First, to those who are far too comfortable with their current circumstances, and second, to those who are much too indifferent to the needs of the people around them and how their actions affect them. And so in verse 1 through 3, God, through Amos, communicates his despair over the conceited hearts of the wealthy and the noble in Israel. And from the context of this woe, we discover a people far too proud of their stature and who feel untouchable because of their success but also because of their nationality. And this is an important place for us to pause and to remember that this book was primarily written to a specific people, namely the nation of Israel, God's elect people. They did, in fact, uh, occupy a very special place in God's plans for the world. There is something to be said about being of the nation of Israel. But these people had mistaken that position, which was a gift for a marker of their own greatness. And so this pride ultimately turned them away from their God, the gift giver, and away from the ways which such were supposed to live. They thought that they could do as they pleased and that all they did was justifiable simply because of who they were. And so this, this is who this text was written to, a northern Israel who thought that they were greater than they were and who thought everything they did was justifiable. And so while this was written to a specific people, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are meant for us today. There aren't, there's warnings in these texts that are meant for us to hear. It's why they've been written and communicated to us as part of God's word. And, and so here's what I think we're supposed to see here for us. Church, where have you seen a people who feel like they are superior to the nations around them simply because of where their citizenship lies? Have you ever met a person who would claim that they live in the greatest country on earth? In, in this text, in regards to northern Israel, God rhetorically asked the people with these kinds of thoughts if they're truly any better or greater, and the implied answer is no. So he speaks to people who feel that all their actions are justifiable, and so by consequence, they've perpetuated injustice. They become blind to their own corruption. And this thinking turns, as the text says, seats of justice into seats of violence. 
And so listen, if you know me at all, you know I'm not a political person. I have zero affections or affiliations for the power structures of this country and the people who fill their seats. I believe that passages like these apply to many of them, and the consequences are that far too many of us fall into these places as well. Too many times we've bought into the lies and the propaganda of our day that somehow our country is more special, more righteous, or more favored by God that there's no sin in our past or present. But we need to recognize that and repent of it. But listen, at the same time, the answer is not to become angry or grow in malice towards those in power, but to have the same sorrow, feel the same woes that God does. And we're called to respect and pray for those in power. We're called to seek their good, and as we'll see later, even seek their good while speaking out against corruption, complacency, or indifference. So this is important. Church, listen to me. Americans are not in any way better, more righteous, guiltless, or favored by God than any other peoples on the planet. We are not special despite what our songs or our politicians have told us. And in fact, we have more in common with Babylon than we do with Israel. We are a Gentile people. And and, and my point of all of that is this, that we here are no better or greater than any other peoples, not because we're the worst, but because we're just people. And God cares for all people, which again, we are just one. And so for, day, for today and from our text, it's my hope to warn us to be careful of our own complacency or indifference both to the needs of the people around us and to our obedience to what God has called us to because God's promises are for all nations, but so are his standards for justice. So when a nation invades a country or drops a bomb, or calls for drone strikes, and people, and women, and children are casualties, God does not say, yeah, but it's different when they do it. He mourns for the dead, and he's displeased with the violence. And closer to home, when people that we see in our lives have needs, and we look past or walk past them because we feel more valuable or better, God is displeased. See, our status as Americans and our status as God's children, more importantly, are a blessing, but they do not make us better or replace our responsibilities to uphold God's standards and to model God's care. And the second woe, likewise, was towards those who who in their self-righteous delusions became blind and indifferent to those needs around them. And so in the second woe, we find people who put themselves first at the expense of others. We find people who sing songs which worship themselves, eat meals meant to be offerings, drink wine from bowls set aside for sacred use, and pour perfumes and incense on themselves instead of on the altars. The second woe is for self-absorbed people who only worship themselves. And so God says to all those who put themselves first that they'll also be judged first. And so in verses 1 through 7, we're warned, again, to be careful of our own complacency and indifference, both to the needs of the people around us and to our obedience to God's ways, because indifference leads to injustice, and injustice leads to disaster. 
Church, we're so blessed to live where we do and have the freedoms that we have. I want to make that clear. I'm not anti-America. And while I don't know that we sleep on beds of ivory, I can't speak for all of you. Mine is made of memory foam with a cooling pillow top. And, And so the point is we're really blessed, but we aren't better so be careful that the luxury that we live in doesn't, doesn't lie to you and trick you into believing that God, God somehow likes you or loves you more. Or the nation that we live in is more righteous or superior to another. Our leaders and our military, they're all humans. Corruption is real. Violence is frequent. National and financial interests, unfortunately, take priority over the needs of the needy. But it shouldn't, that, it shouldn't be that way for us here because we can hear God's call to be a blessing to others. We can heed God's warning and follow his ways, which are to have compassion on others and to put our hands out to the poor. Listen, God hates pride. And when people's pride leads to indifference and injustice, God will act. And I know so because he says so. Next, look with me, beginning in verse 8. It says, The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relatives, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring his bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say no, and he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do do horses run on rocks? Does one plow with an oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low debar, who say, we, uh, have we not by our own strength captured Carname uh, our, our, for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Lebo Hamath to the brooks of the Arabah. So in verses 8 through 14, God gives us the fate of those who would delight in themselves and not in the Lord. Those who would build houses or kingdoms of their own instead of participating in God's. And God says, listen, they're going to die. And when only one remains to bury or burn their dead, he won't be able to call upon me for relief because it was my judgment that came upon these wicked and rebellious houses. And you may be tempted to judge God for his actions against these people, but verse 14, uh, 11 through 14 tells us that this isn't just an action of God angrily attacking people, but instead it's the natural causes of their violence, their rebellion, their complacency and indifference, their false security. These people who believe that they, by their own strength, had taken life by the horns, that's what verse 13 roughly translates to. Listen, they're going to get gored by that horn because grabbing a bull by its horns is a bad idea. Um, Did you guys know that I grew up raising cows? I think we have a picture. All right, that's me. Listen, cows, specifically bulls, are strong. If you fight one and try to take it by the horns, you will lose. 
and only a prideful, arrogant person would try such a task. And as verse 11 through 12 are trying to tell us, those who are dumb get destroyed. Like if you try to run your horse on rocks, your day is going to end by putting down a lame horse. And if you try to plow a field of stone, your day will end with a broken plow. And if you live your life in rebellion against God, if you live as traitors to God's kingdom, you will die a traitor's death. Those who deny God's authority and deny his standards will be judged and will die because the wages of sin is death. And why? Because they didn't heed God's warning to be careful of our own complacency and indifference, both to the needs of those around us and to obedience to God's ways. And as we see that indifference leads to injustice and injustice leads to disaster. So don't be dumb. Don't get destroyed by the natural consequences of your own complacency, indifference, or rebellion. So that's chapter six, that God's promises are for all nations, but so are his standards of justice. And this warning is the same. It's to be careful of our own complacency and indifference because ultimately it will lead to disaster. So hearing that, just don't, de- don't, don't deny that. It's foolishness to deny that. Thinking that somehow you are immune to the natural causes of rebellion. Listen, the wages of sin are death. But luckily, the story in the text doesn't end there. In chapter 7, uh, we, we now enter this, and for the first time since chapter 1, verse 1, we're pulled out of the message that Amos is preaching, and we enter into the narrative of the text to actually see who he's been preaching to. And here in chapter 7, we find him speaking in the temples, in a place like this, but, but a temple built by a rebellious king, speaking up against the false priests and leaders of the day. And here's the message which he speaks, chapter 7, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented concerning this and said, It shall not be, says the Lord. And this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. And this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So Amos in these verses, this this message that he preaches, says, I saw God about to pour out justice in the form of plague and famine, but I prayed he wouldn't, and so he didn't. 
and I saw God about to rain down fire like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah, but I prayed he wouldn't, and so he didn't. Church, can we just pause for a moment and reflect on the powerful and beautiful and convicting lesson that this text just taught us? Like, look at how quickly God will relent and hold off a wrath if one would just ask. He's relieved to hold it off just a bit longer. This is Abraham advocating for Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Moses pleading for the people in the desert. And this is God hearing and answering their requests. And this should be us praying on behalf of our neighborhoods and our nations and our world. God not only hears our prayers, but he answers them. And when we pray for his patience and his mercy, he's so quick to give it. He takes no pleasure in judgment or the consequences. Our God foremost is a God of grace and mercy. But he's also just, and so justice will eventually come. He can only hold off for so long. And verse seven through nine, look how he speaks to Amos. He says, Amos, look at these people in this country. What do you see? And Amos says, Lord, from your seat of justice, I see a wicked, rebellious, corrupt, complacent, self-absorbed, indulgent, indifferent, prideful people who from all the warnings we've seen crush the poor and abandon the needy. They've run so far away from you and your ways and disaster is everywhere. And so we see from this plumb line, this picture, God communicates that he wants justice for people, justice for the afflicted. And he wants to tear down the places that have corrupted his people and turn their hearts away. He wants to destroy the altars which have replaced his and wants to bring low the proud so that they will have nowhere else to turn but back to him. And he wants these people to lose their distractions so that they can hear his call. And so when Amos sees and hears God's heart and sees the evils of a crooked nation from God's perspective, no prayer for forgiveness follows. Church, we exist because we've experienced that mercy and grace of God. He's called us and rescued us from our rebellion. And now he invites us to see the world as he does and to judge with his plumb line of justice. But we also need to judge ourselves this way, recognizing that we, though forgiven, are still off kilter. We still need God's grace to stand up tall. We're no better than the people or the nations around us. We, who are God's people, are just blessed and fortunate beyond measure to have received that gift that's been given and God's justice on the sinner is not a sign of his unjustified anger. It's not a character flaw. Instead, it's the sign that he's a righteous and just judge who takes no pleasure in having to uphold it, but he does for the sake of the afflicted and for his name. And so listen, none of us, no one wants an unrighteous judge who allows crime to go unpunished. So why would we want less from him? Why would we be surprised when justice comes? So again, like in chapter six, we see a, a, a picture, a manifestation of God's justice in chapter seven, and it's this picture of the plumb line. 
So a plumb line, if you don't know, it's this string with a weight at the bottom, and it's used to determine if something's level or plumb. It's to see if it's in perfect vertical orientation, if what, what's, what's there is in alignment between what's below and what's above. A plumb line's used to bring into alignment uh, below what's above. And so this is the picture of God's justice. But in order for justice to occur, a balance has to be met. What's out of line must be brought into proper place. And what refuses or rejects this alignment must be mended or removed because a building out of plumb will eventually and naturally come to ruin, come to disaster. So injustice must be dealt with or it leads to disaster the same way that a building or its stones out of alignment will fall. Injustice has to be dealt with or it leads to disaster. But what a wonderful thing it is for us to know that when disaster comes, not because of a vengeful God, but as a consequence of a rebellious people, we have a God who chooses to be there to pick up the pieces, to mend or repair what's broken, and to bring it into proper alignment. But only if those who are there are willing to repent and return to him. But how wonderful is it to know that we have a God who will hear our prayers, but more, will answer them. We have a God who not only hears our prayers, but who answers them too. And as we finish chapter 7 together, what I want to do is show you how God chooses to deal with that injustice in the world, or more accurately, how he calls for us to respond to it. And so we're going to finish beginning in verse 10. It says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away from the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary, and it's the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the words of the Lord. You say do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So there's a lot in these final verses, but I want to focus our eyes today on verses 14 through 15, because here we all can find ourselves in the commission that God gives to all those who call him father or friend. Here we find one who had no special birth, no nobility of no, and yet was chosen by God and called to follow the Lord and to prophesy to a lost people. When Amos saw the corruption of the world around him, he understood that it wasn't his job to bring it to disaster, to tear it down or respond in anger because he knows that there's a judge who, though merciful and gracious, 
is and will measure the world by his plumb line of justice and deal with it in its time. Amos understood his role of action towards injustice was not to be its final judge himself, but to speak out against it with the message of the God of justice, warning and calling to repentance, giving the invitation to return to God. Amos heard God's call and heeded his warning, and he responded in true worship. Amos demonstrated true and authentic worship, not with offerings or songs, but through obedience, righteous living, and a deep concern for the well-being of those he went to speak and preach to. And listen, the call that Amos heard was to go and to preach the message of God, to remember who God is, to repent and to turn from rebellion so that you can return to God knowing that he's a God of justice, yes, but also a God who hears prayers and responds to them. Amos's message was and still is the gospel, that God is king and he's coming to take back what is his and to establish his kingdom. So repent and believe. And our calling in Christ is the same. Listen, all God's people are called to go and to preach the good news of God's kingdom. All of us are called to that. And, and the good news of God's kingdom has never changed it was introduced in the garden. It will come to its ultimate fruition at Christ's return. But in between, the offer always stands for us to live in God's uh, kingdom now. Jesus' victory over the enemy, over death, has guaranteed his reign as king, and he now offers freedom and rest from injustices in this world if we would come to live with him. And if we would, we'd experience glimpses of heaven on earth because we'd live as a people filled with justice, whose faith would be obvious in the world around us by the way that we love, demonstrated as true through our obedience to God, manifest in deep concern for the well-being of those around us. The same way that God cares for us, we would live as a people who care for others. So we, like Amos, are called to action, but our action is not to be that final judge. It's to speak out against injustice and be God's messenger calling for others to remember, repent, and return. So church, if you're hearing this this morning and these words seem foreign to you or are unappealing, listen, be careful of your own complacency and indifference, both to the needs of the people around you but also to God's ways. Because God's promises are for all nations, but so are his standards of justice. And if you are indifferent, hear me. Listen, indifference will lead to injustice, and injustice will lead you to disaster. So before it's too late, repent and return. Pray to God and ask for his grace and mercy. And if you would, just like we saw through Amos, he will do so for you because we have a God who hears those prayers and answers them and is eager to withhold his wrath and to give you grace and mercy instead. And finally, for those of us here who are in his family, you know this already, but your calling is the same as it was for Amos. All God's people are called to go and to preach the good news of God's kingdom. So if you truly love God, your worship will manifest in obedience to that calling and it looks like a deep concern for the well-being of people around you. And it's proven true in tangible acts of mercy, not just empty words.
So with that, let's pray.